Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Um, we're really excited to to get some more episodes out to everyone. Uh, we just got to all see each other pretty recently at a big national meeting for Orthopedic Surgery Society, um, and all, all got to get together. But um, but yeah, so we'll we'll be talking today about uh, malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors. Um, so we'll get going into that in a little bit. But uh, easy to tell us a little bit about what's been going on and how is how is your week in uh, Las Vegas for the meeting. Uh, you know the saying, uh, what happens in Vegas stays <laughs> in Vegas. And I feel like uh, the same could be said for my money, my bank account <laughs> that was lost at the casinos because it stayed in Vegas. But I think it was amazing being at the uh, academy meeting. I mean, I try to go almost every year and uh, really amazing turnout from orthopedic surgeons getting to meet old friends, meet new ones, learn from so many people, so many experts, uh, get to liaise with you in person. Always amazing. Always amazing. Yeah, it was a really good meeting. Um, Yeah, I've historically gone most years as well, but haven't been for a few years with COVID and whatnot. Um, So it was really exciting to get back together with everyone and um, it was a really well done meeting this year. I thought some really good talks really great symposia and yeah we we uh i don't think we ever got a picture together i realized yeah <laughs> that's so, i'll take the blame for that one but uh so, i know we so. kept trying to meet up together and it never we saw each other a lot it's, it's, it's just accidentally difficult. <laughs> it's, it's difficult with, the, with so many you know, cra- craps tables laying around uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's amazing we saw each other so much um with the thousands of people there but, but um but yeah it was a really good meeting and yeah. like you said always good to, to catch up with friends across the country that we and colleagues that we don't get to see in person as much as we'd like um, yeah. share ideas and collaborate absolutely and like you said uh, the episode today is the malignant peripheral nerve sheet tumors and if you could remember from our most previous episode, we discussed benign peripheral nerve sheet tumors, uh, which encompasses schwannomas, right? And neurofibromas. We talked a bit about neurofibromatosis. We even talked a little bit about Verroche bodies, Antony A and Antony B cells, all right? And we even did some geography covering the coast of Maine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Right, which is the cafe au lait spot associated with neurofibromatosis. I think I covered everything, Elise. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a perfect segue into our topic of the day. So as easy mentioned, malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors. So this is well-named. It's uh, quite descriptive in terms of what the, what the tumor type is. You don't need the Latin translations like you do for some of the other tumors that we take care of. I feel like uh, whoever named benign peripheral nursery tumors and malignant peripheral nursery tumors just needs a lot, a whole lot of credit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe like a Starbucks gift card or something like that. For Yeah. People will call these neurofibrosarcomas. 
are occasionally malignant schwannomas, but I think in general, these are more universally referred to as malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors. Um, these account for approximately 5 to 10% of all soft tissue sarcomas, so somewhat common in terms of the type of sarcomas that we take care of. Um, and these can be solitary or they can arise in the setting of neurofibromas or in the setting of prior radiation as well. And we'll talk about all these different scenarios and how they're unique from each other as we move on. But Izu, can you tell us a little bit about patients who get diagnosed with malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors, or we might start abbreviating it going forward as MPNST? In terms of who gets diagnosed with this or the demographics that gets affected the most, usually we talked uh, in the previous episode of neurofibromatosis one having so slightly increased incidence of patients having these neurofibromas that progress to a malignant tumor, which would be an MPNST, malignant peripheral nerve sheet tumor. Those patients would be of a younger age group, so ages 20 to 40. But if there's no history of neurofibromatosis one, then their patients are more likely to be a more advanced in age, 30 to 50s, but not middle age, right, Elise? <laughs> Yeah, I guess it depends <laughs> on the age of the person right. making that call. <laughs> so we have talked a lot also about soft tissue sarcomas and being treated with radiation and surgery or other sarcomas being treated with radiation. We will have episodes discussing radiation itself as well as some of the risks. One of the risks that does come along with a radiation history is a potential for a development of sarcoma down the line. And so uh, being able to identify if there was a previous history of radiation in a patient uh, is also part of what will be important and who has a likelihood of getting diagnosed with an MPNST. That allows me to segue into sort of the next question that we talk about, which is the location in the body. And so technically, wherever there are nerves, you can have a nerve sheet tumor, but more likely the nerves that can turn into a malignant peripheral nerve sheet tumor, an MPNST, are the large nerves, such as the sciatic nerves or nerves of the brachial plexus, which are the leash of nerves that uh, control the arms. Those are the nerves that will be more likely to be affected by the MPNST. And then for any patient that would have this, uh, at least, how would they present to a clinic uh, or to the emergency room or anywhere? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, and some of our listeners may recognize a pattern with this, but typically patients will present with a mass as well as pain and other potential nerve deficits. So that's what might stand out and help differentiate this from some of the other soft tissue sarcomas that we see. Since it is associated with a the nerve, there may be motor deficits. Um, meaning weakness in certain muscle groups that are associated with the nerve that's, that supplies that muscle. Um, and also paresthesias if it's associated with a nerve that has sensory function as well. So you can have patches of numbness or paresthesias, which is essentially a fancy way of saying there may be areas where it's uh, there's tingling uh, or numbness or that feeling that you're 
arm is going to sleep or has like ants crawling on your skin. So we typically refer to that as paresthesias. Um, ants growing on the skin, just even hearing about it is kind of scary overall. But so yeah. someone comes in with the mass ants crawling on the skin feeling or some weakness or some deficit or some pain. What studies do you obtain then um, in, in terms of ruling out or identifying if they have an MPNST at least? So if on the physical exam that continues to be concerning for us for potential sarcoma, um, and specifically one that would be associated with a nerve or a mass associated with the nerve where they may have what's called a positive 10L sign. You tap on the area, you get shooting pain in that nerve distribution. Um, then we may order usually an MRI. Occasionally you may start with an ultrasound, but if it's deep and large, you're probably going to go straight to an MRI with and without contrast. Um, and on that MRI, this is not going to be too distinctive from other soft tissue sarcomas that we see in terms of the characteristics. Essentially, will be heterogeneous in appearance, primarily T1 hypo-intense, meaning low intensity, and T2 hyper-intense, and enhancing. There can be cystic regions occasionally with this, and you may be able to identify if it's very clearly associated with an adjacent nerve as well. So if that's the case and it's where that nerve is, between muscle groups per se, then that can be more apparent. But that's not always the case, just depending on what the nerve is that it is coming off of. Right. And I think along with the MRI helping with diagnosis, it really helps also for us to identify what are the nearby structures to the mass. Right. So in a situation like this where you have a large nerve, often nerves run as what we call a neurovascular bundle with blood vessels nearby, right? Sometimes if they're large nerves, they're still within the pelvis or the lower abdomen, right? They can be next to uh, your gut or your GI tract. They can be uh, next to other nerves that might be vital or pivotal. Uh, they can be next to structures like the bladder if they're large enough and so all these things we'll be able to ascertain and see um, when we get this MRI. Right and then other things that can be helpful too so you mentioned how these are uh, tumors that can appear in patients who have a known history of neurofibromatosis um, where they have multiple benign nerve sheath tumors in general but can be at risk of one of these transforming into a malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumor over time. So certainly if there's any comparison imaging of those areas available, that can be useful to determine whether or not we think that these have changed. That can be difficult to tell just on MRI alone. And other things that have come up recently that can be helpful in those patients in particular are PET scans, which I believe we've discussed before on prior episodes, but that would be a type of nuclear imaging study where essentially the glucose or sugar is tagged with a radionucleotide and the cells that are more active, which cancer cells are typically more active, they will eat up more of this tagged sugar. This is a study that's usually done in a fasting way to avoid having background noise essentially from what you ate for breakfast that morning before the test but so that sugar that's tagged it 
gets taken up more by the more active cells, which would be the cancer cells. And so we've seen that PET scans that are done in a certain way may, may be helpful in differentiating a benign peripheral nerve sheet tumor from a malignant peripheral nerve sheet tumor in patients with neurofibromatosis. Yeah, agreed. And these tumors, then, would you then be obtaining a biopsy, would be my guess, at least? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly at this point, I would be getting a, an image-guided biopsy or be requesting a, a core needle biopsy, either doing it myself in the office if it's possible or, or having our radiologist assist with that um, if there was a concern based on those imaging findings that we got. How about yourself? So uh, I think absolutely, uh, you know, having to get what get the diagnosis and with these biopsies get a grade on the tumor, I think is also very useful. And then the pathologic analysis on the biopsy will show us uh, generally uh, very large sheets of disorganized cells. So very um, consistent with any of our sarcomas. Usually the cells become very disorganized or haphazard in their arrangement. Maybe you have uh, ample spindle cells in this case, and these will stain positive for S100, which is the stain. We talk about immunostains in previous episodes. This is the stain that stains specifically for neural elements, so nerve structures, neural structures. And so that would be positive along with the combination of the imaging findings and uh, the rest of the pathology will allow us to get that diagnosis. All right. And once we get the diagnosis, so our treatment for this, our treatment algorithm follows the algorithm of soft tissue sarcomas, which is a combination of radiation before or after surgery, which is called preoperative or postoperative radiation in combination with a wide surgical resection, which in this case, I would use the term more a margin negative resection, which means that you are getting the tumor out in a negative margin without but trying not to affect uh, the function of the patient significantly. Um, if possible, you can avoid that. And kind of along those lines, um, because this is associated with with a nerve, um, when when these are removed, I think we alluded to this in our our last talk on benign peripheral nerve sheath tumors, but this is a kind where the whole nerve is going to be taken out when we do remove an MPNST. So if, if it's a clearly named nerve or identifiable nerve on the MRI, then we definitely talk to the patient about expectations that function of whatever muscles or patches of skin are supplied by that nerve are certainly going to be affected and have deficits after. Sometimes we'll be able to work around those and make up for that with the help of our plastic surgeons, but that's a little bit more of a complex talk. But in any case, that nerve function is going to be completely altered with the removal of the tumor if we achieve our goal of a margin negative resection. Correct. And so in a patient somewhere between the ages of 20 to 50, depending if they have no fibromatosis, one or not, develops a mass or a previous mass that starts increasing in size. We image them, we biopsy them, we have MPNST, we get radiation, preoperative or postoperative with a margin negative resection. How do we surveil the patients after treatment? 
What is the survival rate? What is the local recurrence rate that we know of? Yeah, and that's that's a good question. Certainly one that always um, comes up uh, either during some of your initial discussions or in those first visits after surgery, it'll probably come up again. Um, but so our our understanding so far of overall survival in five years after surgery uh, would be an overall survival rate of 15 to 66%. So a pretty wide range. Um, that's not uncommon in the literature that we deal with because of the small numbers. So um, different centers are going to get different rates just based on the patient populations that they get. Other numbers that we've seen in some of the recent literature, a five-year event-free survival, so meaning no local recurrence or distant metastasis of 24 to 53%. Um, and then if we look just at local recurrence alone, that rate is estimated to be 20 to 85.7%. And I know these are wide ranges, which can make the counseling for patients uh, challenging. But unfortunately, that's that's what we're working towards is working together a little bit more, doing some more collaboration with studies so you can get a clear understanding of uh, the these pathologies and these types of tumors that we take care of. Yeah. And I think, the, you know, the more research that's done sort of across different sarcoma treatment sites, um, sort of like things that are being put together by the uh, AOS registry, uh, like we had in our previous episode, I think the more we'll be able to better understand and hone in who does better and how and why. Uh, and I think we do have to know that the NF1 associated MPNSDs uh, have a predilection for a poor survival overall as these patients do get uh, uh, MPNSDs at a younger age uh, and they often can have um, a more problematic treatment course uh, with increased rates for a local occurrence and decreased overall survival rate. Also, um, any increased tumor size also increases the risk overall for the patient because, like we said, these nerves become very, very close and embedded to many important structures in the body. So the larger they get, the more things that they can uh, infiltrate and affect when it times comes time for a resection. So with that, that brings us to our finale of our episode and we like to finish by summarizing some salient points uh so at least you want to go ahead and give us a couple that you think were some important points from today yeah so i think some of the main things to keep in mind is are that npnst so contrary to what we talked about in our last episode uh these are the malignant version of tumors that are derived or associated with nerves. So these can occur either in a solitary form, which is an isolation separate from any syndrome, or they can also occur in association with the syndrome that we talked about in this episode and the last, which is neurofibromatosis, typically type one more than type two. Um, another important note uh, associated with patients with neurofibromatosis type one that these patients typically will get these types of malignant tumors at a younger age than the patients who have them occur in isolation or spontaneously. Um, and 
they do have an increased risk of malignancy than patients who have a solitary neurofibroma or other benign peripheral nerve sheet tumor. Yeah, and I think consistent with our treatment for soft tissue sarcomas, radiation and a margin negative resection would be our treatment. Uh, also, the cell stain positive for S100, which is our neural stain. Uh, and then I'll probably uh, add one last thing, uh, which is that uh, these nerves do uh, occur or are more likely to occur when they affect the larger nerves in the body, such as the sciatic and the nerves of the brachial plexus. Perfect. Right. With that, that brings us to our close. Uh, it is important to note that every patient's case is unique and treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on the discussion with your team of physicians. If you would like more information, please feel free to check out the articles on the episode description. Uh, and if you enjoyed the episodes, please uh, don't hesitate to hit subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram at Sarcoma Insight uh, or visit our website at the Sarcoma, at Sarcoma Insight Podcast. Com. In the last couple episodes, we have discussed uh, nerve tumors, and I think we're going to keep along with that theme for at least a couple more episodes with some upcoming episodes surrounding the spine, uh, chordomas, as well as other spine tumors. And we'll have an upcoming episode with a uh, patient story, which is sort of one of my favorite episodes that we do. How about you, Elise? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think those are segments where we really learn a lot. Um, it's always, you know, it's certainly fun to talk about and learn about the science and the literature behind what we do. But uh, I think it always brings it home when we have patients on and have them talk about their experience. There's always, you know, a person on the other side of what we're doing. And so it's always good to hear those individualized experiences. It really, uh, I think it's really meaningful for us and I hope for our listeners as well. Sarcoma Insight.